hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Well, Cuomo is a new Nixon, as I, I've coined this uh, concept. He's, Cuomo is our Nixon. Aruba, Jamaica, ooh, I want to take you down to Cuomo mode. <laughs> the episode about Cuomo. Where we will take it slow. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to do an episode about governor cuomo and i think it's uh this is probably a good time a year later to look back on what happened to new york i know not all of our listeners live in new york but a lot of them do but also it's this is a this is a story that is related to you know the entire democratic party and things like that it's timeless it's like aladdin new goddamn york a year ago because of this motherfucker was i cannot stress how weird this is the streets were flooded with corpses <laughs> you guys remember <laughs> there were just islands where you they were digging mass graves to just dump people on one of the weirdest things about the, the mass grave islands is uh when you were reading about it they would say um oh yeah uh, we just started doing mass graves on these islands of course just we you go what do you mean and they're like yeah we've been doing this with prisoners for like years. the new <laughs> island of bodies um yeah, yeah dude i live by a hospital they were just forking bodies past my house all the time <laughs> wait like covered up or you could see the they were walking upright and groaning and eating living people <laughs> oh i got bad news for you pal those those are living dead oh one of the secrets is our governor hiding (laughs) that was that was me that was mr cuomo i'm often confused for a zombie (laughs) he does look like he looks like the death note demon to me that really scary i see that but um, maybe more than willem dafoe for sure who played him in the movie (laughs) oh who do you think who do you guys think will play Cuomo in the movie. I think it's got to be uh fuck, I forgot his name. The guy the dad from Clueless. You know who I'm talking about? He's a character actor, Dan um I got it right here. Dan Hedaya. He looks a lot like Cuomo. He played Nixon in Dick. Uh he's got the attitude. Uh they got to make a movie about him and I don't care if it's fucking Ben Shapiro who makes it because unfortunately we have to rely on like Republican media sources to go after him like that's basically what it's been for the past until recently with these scandals the only people criticizing cuomo were like the the fox news blondes like the female hotter versions of me were the only people talking about <laughs> that's how i remember them as well oh, yeah that was it it's me megan kelly <laughs> uh margaret hoover janice dean they all look the same and they were the only people for the longest time Speaking out against Cuomo. Anders advocates for Red Brown Alliance. <laughs> That's a good point. It actually kind of 
dovetails with something that I wanted to bring up. So we already did the interview. This is how we record the show, right? But um, we there's a lot of stuff to talk about with Cuomo. And something that we didn't get to that I really wanted to, to touch on was like, um, you might be listening to this because you are a recently radicalized or radical curious person who uh, thought Cuomo was fucking cool maybe a year ago or two years ago or six months ago or whatever. Um, maybe you were a Cuomo sexual. Maybe you are reformed Cuomo sexual or maybe you are a current one and this is Cuomo sexual conversion therapy to <laughs> help you with those intrusive Cuomo sexual thoughts. <laughs> if you are Stephen Colbert and are listening to our show to know what to think, keep listening. <laughs> I mean, you could oh, also wait. still be a homosexual who hates him but still wants to fuck him. That's that's allowed. That's true. That's, true. that's a whole spectrum of sexuality, <laughs> and it's valid. My point is, the point I wanted to get at was uh, always has been. It's like the astronaut meme. Um, uh-huh. A lot of people, you know, I mean, the way that this guy operates, like the way what fuels him is very like... Uh, political theatery sort of stuff just the charisma and the trust you know when he crushed cynthia nixon i remember um you know being kind of bummed out about it and then the reality hit me because i just i started listening to interviews where people like man on the street stuff where they would just ask some long island guy about it and he'd be like yeah he's just a guy he seems like a fucking he just gets shit done you know oh god he's the he's the chief you know yeah um he's an cuomo is an idea right and so uh the way to beat an idea is to um you know with brain power you gotta it's it's hard to flip an entire image of someone in your head but it can mm-hmm. be done you know i mean yeah. i used to think different things i used to you know that's how politics work right um so what i wanted to talk about was the ridiculous shit that he did earlier in his career that like you're saying yeah the only people that pointed it out were republicans there was never like a like a daily shows you know type attack on Cuomo, one of the funniest examples is this women's equality party that he started. Uh, Andrew, do you know like the nuts and bolts of that, like how that happened? Yeah. So in New New York state has fusion voting, meaning there are ballot lines, which basically, you know, in America, parties are ballot lines. Uh, I might get some heat from the trots for saying that, but that's that's true. Uh, And in New York, you can there you can have a candidate that is on multiple ballot lines. So what the Working Families Party often does is tries to endorse progressive candidates, right? So they'll they'll support uh, Democrats in in primaries who are progressive, right? And uh, then they'll also cross endorse the Democratic nominee. So you can vote, uh, and this is what happened in in actually 2020, that's a lot of people in New York, kind of the uh, soft left thing to do uh, was to vote for Biden on the Working Families Party line. Because if you vote for a Democratic nominee in the general election on the Working Families ballot line, then they they get to keep that ballot line. They get to remain a, a political party uh, and influence the debate and support candidates and whatnot. They have been a thorn in Cuomo's side. And I'm not a huge fan of everything Working Families Party has done. They did in 2014. I don't I like dis- kids. <laughs> right. It's that's the thing is they should I'll rebrand as family. as the working about to abolish the family party. The I working bachelors the- party. <laughs> the uh, party, baby. Yeah. Engels would not approve of the name, but they uh, they endorse Cuomo. Like it, it, that's the craziest thing about Cuomo is de Blasio 
has been slobbering all over him for the longest time, but because he stepped out of line, like on two or three occasions, he's on Cuomo's enemies list. He hates de Blasio and he hates the working families party. They had a deal in 2014 that in exchange for just campaigning on behalf of democratic Senate candidates, state Senate candidates in New York, they would give him their uh, nomination of the of the working families party and uh he of course kept stabbing in the back and he was still mad at them and then uh he kept fucking them over and and not doing moving on any of the policy items uh they wanted him to after 2014 and so they endorsed cynthia nixon right and that was a huge uh slap in the face to cuomo as he saw it and he got all the unions to pull out of the wfp they got screwed over uh but slightly before that just to fuck with them and just to dilute their share of the vote, he started a party. And again, New York's a fusion voting state. So the party doesn't actually have to nominate candidates. They can just uh, endorse other candidates and you can vote for them on, on the line. And he started uh, a, a party called the Women's Equality Party. And no, this was actually in 2014, I believe. Yeah. A master uh, move. Yeah, it was way back then. Right. So to split the sort of progressive vote, uh, if you saw Andrew Cuomo's name on the ballot and you're, and you also saw Howie Hawkins, you're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that. Uh, but I want to send sort of somewhat of a message, right? Oh, uh, I see working families or I see women's equality. Hmm. Which one am I going to do? And well, I do time, like women's equality. Yes. Oh, right. I love the ladies. <laughs> I say while voting for Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's why he started it, and of course, the, the just the most ridiculous, most cynical press conference in the world is him talking about beginning the Women's Equality Party. I think he just like answered a question or two about it or, or referenced it in a speech, but he's like, uh, "We we we gotta support women who want to be equal. That's that's just the case. I'm a father of two daughters, <laughs> and uh, that's that's why I started the Women's Equality Party. That's that's got to be an issue, and like never addressed it again." Yeah, it never had brought up again. Yeah, it was just brought up to for to get people to vote for him, not a woman, and right. not a particularly friendly person towards women. Right. <laughs> Although he has said it might be confusing to some people because he has declared himself a woman, right, uh, as well as a Muslim, a gay, I a disabled am a person. Attack helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> declared himself whatever the hell he thinks he can. Yeah, yeah, he's like an artifact in magic if you're from a trading cards background. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, he's non, he's gray. Yeah. Uh, he also had a bus. The Women's Equality Party has had a bus. He had a bus? Yeah, it's called the Women's Equality Express or something. Like, Jesus. Right. <laughs> and that's just getting ahead of the issue saying, I don't think women need a separate bus. <laughs> Before anyone suggests it, everyone should be able to go on the same bus. What do you think he was doing on that bus? Oh, I have serious questions about his conduct. I am showing bus. a classroom, the inside of a member of the classroom by shrinking the bus and going <laughs> inside of his nostril. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. One time I left Arnold on Pluto. <laughs> there were great repercussions. Oh, I'm I'm sure he used Miss Frizzle about because he's he's had some bad blood, I believe, with the uh, teachers union. 
in New York and like basically every union except with the, the leadership. Right. Uh, but I bet he, cause he was, he's been sort of ambivalent on charters uh, from what I gather. But at some point, I'm, I would not be surprised if Miss Frizzle was used as an example to bust the teachers' union in New York. Like, they got she's bringing people to space. This is not acceptable. This is a waste of our money. And our the, teachers and the, the should not require a lizard to get their points across. <laughs> if she didn't want it, why would she have been dressed like that in a large yellow coat covered in various? <laughs> icons <laughs> exactly yeah it has molecules all over <laughs> what am i supposed to think well just covered in space <laughs> come on you know a man can't resist a woman covered in tiny planets and molecules did you see the magic school bus reboot drawings they desematized miss frizzle yeah they straightened her hair and made oh her- i didn't Real, the Spanish I Inquisition not, has gotten to Miss Frizzle. I had no idea that that was she was coded as a member of the tribe. Well, she's. I mean, her literally her name is Frizzle, and they unfrizzled her, her hair. Frizzle. That's the only. But that okay, I guess sure. People have on frizzy the, hair. I don't think it, it was Frizzlestein. Yeah, <laughs> made cut know, it I down. I never thought about that angle, but you might be right. I yeah, I didn't realize. I thought yeah, they just updated her, and people were upset because she. I think kind yeah. of bimbo fighter. She's kind of hot. Yeah, she's Man. low key thick with it. <laughs> bigger eyes and stuff. Every episode, she only teaches you about sex. I think that's a weird angle for the show to take. Sex ed episode. Yeah, they never yeah. did a se- sex. <laughs> they, Mostly because they... she teaches like eight year olds, and there is no reason <laughs> that she her, should be doing that. Her coat in the sex ed episode is just covered in like dicks and pussies and like condoms. <laughs> <laughs> no she has she has the hentai shirt <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. the girls drooling on it <laughs> well they can shrink the school bus so they can see the process up close so it can like go along with the sperms <laughs> riding sperms and shit it is yeah. very funny there, that there would be a-, a problem though if it actually beat out the other sperms and they impregnated someone with the magic school bus yeah then you make a child yeah. part school bus <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It is weird they did an anatomy episode and we're just like, don't look at his dick. <laughs> we're not driving there. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. I've made a wrong turn. <laughs> Dead end. <laughs> this is why you need to ask for directions. You know? Yeah. Agreed. All right. <laughs> well, should we talk uh Cuomo? Yeah. Speaking of uh, sex ed, someone who did not get good sex ed that taught you about consent was Andrew Cuomo. Uh, we do not know that is true. Ask well, I, I'm gonna. I'm just saying. I don't think he learned. He learned consent really. I. That's what I'm assuming based on his actions. I. I don't know that. That's true. But he was true. called. You, you know what he was called as a kid. Uh, the the press in New York called him the Prince of Darkness because he was what? just a moody, like goth, uh, like jerk. Andrew everybody. in his inky cloak refuses yeah. to leave his father's memory behind <laughs> and become Prince of Denmark. <laughs> yeah, not saying that all goths are you know 
jerks to people, but he was like, he's always been this way. And that that's like, I don't, I, I feel like Mario Cuomo is also likewise overrated in sort of the New York politics imaginary. Uh, and I do think that's probably where, where he learned a lot of his, his skills with, um, you know, cajoling and intimidation and just crooked governance. Um, but in it also world. Yeah. In Albany, baby. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, who are we talking to today? Uh, we're talking to Ross Barkin, who's going to talk to us about the New York state of mind in terms of the political. Cool. All right. Well, let's swing into that. All right. We are now joined by a special guest. He is a journalist. A, an author of books, fiction, and non, as well as a former, perhaps future, political candidate for office. Uh, and he's also known as, his name is Ross Barkin, and uh, my autocorrect often changes that to, uh, we were texting before the show, changes him to Ross Batman, uh, which if you do run yes. again for another office, you might want to consider that. I think that might increase your odds. If you I think I would win if I, if I was Batman, who, who could defeat me? There's, there's actually an upstate legislator in New York with the last name Batman. Really? In, yes, in, in Cuyahoga mm-hmm. County, Keith Batman. So he he has the, the inside lane on people named Batman being in yeah. a No, that lane's filled up. I think what you got to do is you got to go, I'm Ross and I'm barking mad about the budget. <laughs> Yeah, the red dog barking up the wrong trees. A common, there you go. Common one I, I've heard. What was your slogan uh, when you did run 2018? Um, we just had. Um, I think is pol- politicians have failed us. Let's change that. Or, or it was along those lines. I think that was on the lit. So it was just kind of like an anti anti establishment uh, kind of thing we went for, which which was very genuine because I was very much running against the establishment. Is this is like a dog with a speech bubble coming out of it. <laughs> There's no, no, we we not and, and tragically didn't have the, the graphics uh, where right. we're all to right. Yeah, dog with a speech bubble. No, next time, next time. Uh, well, yes, you are an anti-establishment writer in New York State, uh, which is becoming um, more of a looked-to thing these days. Now that the things people have been saying about the governor. Mr. Cuomo, for a very long time, uh, that the mainstream press has kind of ignored and most sort of uh, New Yorkers have kind of been oblivious to, are now uh, coming up in the news. Um, And of course, I do want to get to the sexual assault uh, accusations. I mean, I think they're, I believe all of them put my cards on the table. Uh, But before that, um, of course, there was the nursing home scandal. Uh, which brings us to, you know, why this guy is in the news in the first place, because of COVID, the homosexuals going crazy <laughs> over this man's pierced nipples because uh, he handled the coronavirus so well, um, which is the media narrative that has been presented and shoved down everybody's throat. Uh, and, you know, some of us who have, I guess, lived in New York City and Brooklyn specifically, I feel like is is kind of I I was talking about this the other day with these guys about how I feel like Cuomo is our Nixon 
if that makes sense. Like he's just been our man. Yeah. He's just been our villain for, for many years and other people have been oblivious to it. Uh, But like, what, what are some of the things that people have been missing for so long, especially with COVID about how awful he is in so many ways? He's been, it was been in power. Certainly at least Cuomo has been governor longer than Nixon was president. And if you count, if you count the time Nixon was in the popular consciousness, he still got Cuomo beat by a little bit, but definitely, you know, Cuomo 11 years in power. It's a long time to hold an executive office that really controls the state, uh, you know, lock, stock and barrel. I mean, people, have missed a lot. Um, I I don't blame ordinary people. I blame the way he's been covered. You know, I I, I blame um, the way a lot of politicians have approached him for many years. You know, he he is someone who I I think I always, I try to talk from the perspective of kind of like a a resistance liberal who's fallen in love with Cuomo. It's like, wow, this, this great Democrat who's standing up who, who was standing up to Trump allegedly. And I, I always try to remind them that Cuomo was literally responsible for the Republicans controlling the New York State Senate for um, almost his entire tenure from right. the time he took office until 2019. And that was very much his doing in the sense that he allowed them to gerrymander their own district lines um, almost a decade ago now. Still, the state Senate lines are gerrymandered. They will be ungerrymandered the next redistricting next year. Um, but you know, you start right there. Then the fact that he empowered, helped create, helped strategize with uh, a group known as the Independent Democratic Conference that broke away from the mainline Democrats and was forming a power sharing agreement with the Republican Party in the Senate for about six years. So when you think about um, all of those things, um, it really explains a lot of the dysfunction in New York. It explains why New York is now just plotting toward marijuana legalization, why it couldn't do it years ago, why uh, camp- basic campaign finance laws and voting laws were changed, like being able to vote absentee without an excuse, early voting, all these things happened when the Democrats took control of the state Senate. And not that the Democrats are perfect and far from it, but you had a a conservative pro-Trump, socially conservative, certainly fiscally conservative too, a group of legislators controlling the upper chamber of the state Senate. And that was the way Cuomo wanted it. He liked divided government. He liked having conservatives in power because whenever a progressive or leftist could say, I want X, Y, and Z, Cuomo could stand up and say, well, try to get it through the state legislature. Oh, wait, you can't. Too bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And allowed him to posture to around a a variety of policies that he really could care less about. Right. And and recently there's been a change in uh, the upper chamber in the Senate because, uh, I mean, we're talking before the show about, you know, Cynthia Nixon, uh, who's still the governor in my heart. Uh, She... (laughs) Of course, was beat by Cuomo pretty roundly, but mm-hmm. really one of the major goals of her campaign, as I saw it, was to defeat the IDC, to bring attention to this group that most New Yorkers, most de- Democratic primary voters in New York did not know about. Uh, and she helped those uh, seven or eight or so, I think there's what, one IDC uh, senator left? There's right? Yeah, that's it. Diane Savino is the last remaining uh, former member of the IDC. Right. And the other seven got beat, thanks in large part to uh, to our girl. 
Six, um, yes. Six, so six got beat, and then one tried to run for Congress and lost okay. to Mondaire Jones. And he's right. Carlucci. He's out. Um, and that's it. Yeah, it's just Savino. Right. And they've also, even more recently in 2020, uh, won the Democrats won a supermajority in the Senate, which can override Cuomo's veto if they need to. Um, how was before COVID? How was how was that sort of shaping shaping out? It, it, in terms of so. Oh well, that was after COVID. Never mind. Sorry. But the supermajority. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was post COVID. Yeah. I, I mean, so that that has now just happened. We are in right. the first year of the supermajority era, where both chambers of the state legislature are controlled by supermajorities, so veto-proof majorities. State assemblies always had one. They've had one for a very long time. But the state Senate, as I said, was in Republican hands. So not only was there no supermajority, there was no majority. In 2018, Democrats won a majority. And then this fall, they won a supermajority, which was very fascinating because it was really in defiance of, of national trends where Democrats were soundly beaten down the ballot. Um, New York is a Democratic state. So Democrats were able to perform well with the surge in turnout, which was not the case in other states. And a lot of, um, you know, several new state senators were elected. All or most are fairly progressive um, in, in their views and, and kind of their approach to Cuomo in particular. So, you know, you're already seeing, you know, the push to revoke Cuomo's emergency powers. There was just a bill passed that took away the immunity for nursing homes and hospitals from, from, from lawsuits related to COVID. Unfortunately, that's not retroactive, so mm. um, you can't sue if you were impacted a year ago, but at least it's gone now. And your a marijuana legalization, the, the way it's been done is it's really been done without much input from Cuomo. It's really been the legislature getting together to do it. And that's certainly a shift from 2020 where Cuomo ran the state like a quasi-authoritarian you know, with his emergency powers. The legislature abdicated their responsibility with a few exceptions. They allowed Cuomo to really run roughshod over everyone else. And now you're seeing a restoration of the three branches of government. And obviously Cuomo's political position is very much weakened by the sexual uh, harassment and nursing home scandals. And he can't really call the shots like he once did, though he'll cling on to power um, as long as he possibly can. Right. Uh, and when he was still calling the shots about this time a year ago, uh, of course, like we said, he was adored by the, the mainstream media. Uh, but you've been reporting this and a lot of people have been yelling and screaming about this, uh, especially in New York. The way he handled COVID uh, was actually pretty bad. What are some of the things that the the corporate press is not picking up. Sure. So um, I, I wrote a book about this and it'll be out in, in July. Uh, the Prince, Andrew Cuomo, Coronavirus in the Fall of New York, uh, <laughs> out from War Books. And really my focus was on his COVID response. And the, the really frustrating thing for me and for some other journalists who were following the story and, and some kind of in the political class um, was that Cuomo was not only uh, not being criticized for his response to coronavirus, he was being praised like the second coming of Abraham Lincoln and Franklin Roosevelt. And it made no sense. It actually made no sense because his fame was increasing in proportion with the amount of people dying of coronavirus in New York State. You had 
for a long time, what was the highest death toll in America? Recently, California finally caught up. California is also twice as large as New York. So the New York death rate, still much higher, still the second highest death rate in America, only surpassed, I believe, by New Jersey, which is adjacent to New York. So you start from the fact that so many people die. There's no way you can call the response success when 50,000 people are dead. It makes absolutely no sense. And then you go, well, a lot of people died of COVID in a lot of states. So what's the big deal? Well, New York uh, knew it was going to get hit hard. It wasn't a secret that in February of last year, you know, this was spreading. This was spreading in the United States. This had been spreading overseas. Public health experts were sounding the alarm. Um, in Seattle, you had preparations for shutdowns in late February and early March. They were putting public health officials really at the front of the response. You, we had a, a period which has been memory hold uh, for reasons unclear, where Andrew Cuomo compared COVID to the flu, repeatedly downplayed the threat, said it was not as bad as SARS, not as bad as Ebola. I know this because I remember. I also know this because I went back and watched all the press conferences and read the transcripts, and they're worse than you remember, especially when you're looking at March 2nd, March 3rd, all the way through March 11th. March 11th was the day um, the NBA shut down and really America went into red alert. Cuomo was still downplaying COVID, saying it's not a big deal. The, uh, the fear is worse than the virus. And certainly he was not alone in that Bill de Blasio was pulling something very similar in his rhetorical approach. The difference is Bill de Blasio didn't get a book deal and didn't get on the cover of national magazines and didn't get very um, pleasant profiles in all of the great newspapers of America. And no one is a de Blasio sexual. It never happened. There's no de Blasio <laughs> sexual. No one ever was aroused by Bill de Blasio's response to COVID. Um, so I, you know, I, I, at the time felt like I was living in an alternate universe to be frank, where I remember it was March and people were dying left and right. And I was writing about this and I start to see these stories like Cuomo is the control freak we need right now. Um, I have a crush on Cuomo. Isn't he great? Going on at Ellen DeGeneres, going on at Trevor Noah. And you're just like, what the hell is going on? In and retrospect, if you were a Cuomo sexual, so, so many people died that if you were a Cuomo sexual, that means you're a necrophiliac. <laughs> and now the term is unfortunately taken on, you know, entirely new connotations where he has been revealed to be a, I will say alleged sexual predator because there's due right. process, but certainly the, the evidence is quite damning. And, and I, I think you're, you're probably going to see um, when the eternal attorney general releases her report, you'll certainly see um, probably even more uh, would be my guess. So anyway, just back to COVID, you know, it was very frustrating just to see um, this happen where a governor is downplaying the threat of the virus we also finally, you know, Bill de Blasio said it, it was around March 17th that New York needs a shelter in place order, something similar to what San Francisco already had. Cuomo said, no, we don't need a shelter in place order for New York City. It's not feasible. We're not going to do it. He would end up putting one into place on March 22nd. He just rebranded it New York Pause, if you remember. Um, so, you know, from top to bottom, it was an incredibly slow response to COVID. Then of course, there was the fallout with budget cuts, threatened Medicaid cuts to hospitals, a very disorganized approach to how 
uh, you know, patients were being transferred between hospitals. It was really a clusterfuck from start to finish and it deserved great criticism. And now it's getting that scrutiny, but it was not getting the scrutiny um, a year ago. Right. And Can I just ask, uh, I don't know if this is a topic we're getting to next, but um, what is the actual fallout from the sexual allegations against him? Because just judging from how he handled COVID, what you're looking at is a politician whose like main strength is kind of just handling spectacle, right? So everybody's dying around him and he's in the news for saving lives. Uh, wouldn't somebody like that essentially be immune to like uh, uh, Me Too style cancellations or whatever? I know he, I've, I've seen press clips from him where he, he's just said like, I won't be canceled by the mob or whatever and just blown it off. Is there any anything that actually sticks to him for this? So I, on, on one hand, he is surviving because his poll numbers have cratered dramatically, but there's still a core group of Democrats who are sticking by him and who believe he did a great job with COVID. So he, his, his poll numbers are down dramatically from their peak. They're still not catastrophically low. So he, he's hanging on as long as that's the case. I don't think Cuomo is immune. I do think he should not be underestimated. He is the most powerful figure in the state by far. He is someone who has accumulated a lot of goodwill, not with people in politics and government who despise him, but with the viewers of these press conferences. And so Mm -hmm. that has given him some rope as he very much tries to hang on for his political life. He's not immune in the sense that this will either come down to the report coming out from the attorney general's office or whether the state legislature impeaches him, the assembly in particular. The assembly is slow walking the process and there's a lot of veterans there who I think are afraid of Cuomo and are pretty conservative who are taking their time the, the, the issue is at some point, if these allegations are very much confirmed by the attorney general, if there are more allegations, if the groping allegation in particular is substantiated, it's going to be very hard for the state assembly in particular to keep ignoring it. Now, could Cuomo survive the rest of his term? Yes, the rest of his term runs through next year. Um, I think the bigger question is, is Cuomo immune? Will he come back from the dead to easily run for a third term and be popular and steamroll the opposition? I do think that ship has sailed. I do believe we are at a point now where Cuomo will, if he attempts another term, get a very strong challenge. My guess would be from the current attorney general, Tish James, who is a center-left Democrat. She was a Cuomo ally. Uh, but she's someone who definitely has turned on him and smells blood in the water and would be the type of politician who could defeat him in a competitive, very, very expensive primary. And Cuomo has never ran in a competitive election really in his life or since the attorney general's race back in 2006. And, and I think that that era of Cuomo steamrolling to future terms indefinitely is over. Will he resign tomorrow? No. Will he coast to a fourth term? I will say no. And I would be surprised that uh, that he would do that. It, it would surprise me to put it that way. Well, yeah, there are a lot of eyes on Tish James right now. Uh, 
Cuomo, I believe, has tried to get the investigation kicked out to one of his allies and so far has failed. Uh, so that's encouraging. Um, is there a possibility that the investigation or investigations, I believe there's multiple, right? Because there's the nursing home There's stuff. also the FBI. I mean, and yeah, gosh, yeah, yeah. we haven't even touched. It's crazy. It's, you think about Cuomo, the nursing home scandal. Right. We haven't even discussed where he apparently covered up the, the death tolls in, in nursing homes and hid those numbers from the public and from the legislature. He has a federal investigation right now. There's an FBI and the U.S. attorney in the Eastern District is investigating Cuomo. So in addition to the state attorney general investigating the sexual harassment allegations, he has a federal probe, which could turn up criminal activity. We don't know, right? So it's two concurrent investigations, two scandals, either one could prove fatal. So there's a lot he's battling through. It's much more than Ralph Northam dealing with a 30 year old photograph. There's a lot more here. Right. And that's what, yeah. So just to briefly go the, the New York hospital association was a general hospital. Yeah. Great, greater New York hospital. Greater New York. Yes, that's right. Uh, People hear that and they're like, what? That's just like a group of hospitals. They are the most powerful lobby, one of them in, in yes. Albany. And their fingerprints are all over the Cuomo administration. Uh, DeRosa, Melissa DeRosa, one of his aides, her dad, I think, is the president. Uh, they Cuomo is absolutely in he, their pocket. He's a lo- her, her dad's a, a lobbyist. A lobbyist. Lobbies, okay. lobbies on their behalf. He, he's one of the most powerful, well-compensated lobbyists in the state. And he's employed by... Um, greater new york hospital system. okay i'm glad i'm a fact checker this week <laughs> we could use one more often but uh he so yeah the, the, their fingerprints are all over cuomo and all over this nursing home scandal because uh what i from my understanding happened is the health boards in new york were saying about nursing home patients who had been uh found positive had to have positive covid tests do not send them back to the nursing homes we have adequate uh, space for them in the Javits Center. And, and the, they had like a boat or something that all these makeshift hospitals set up. But Cuomo insisted on sending them back to their nursing homes. And that caused at least 6,000 people to die. And that's why uh, the immunity thing plays into it, right? Because you, you then couldn't sue if you had a right. relative who died in one of those yes. uh, nursing homes. Yeah. So like with that, plus the the sexual harassment stuff and like how likely do you think it is that we will see this guy uh do something that i have been dreaming of uh since i moved to new york as a chipper 21 year old and that is to uh, see him behind bars (laughs) that i can't say because you know cuomo is someone who keep in mind has already survived one federal probe into his into his administration and that sent his closest aide, Joe Prococo, to federal prison for multiple years in a bribery scandal. So he know he knows how to avoid or just barely avoid the reach of prosecutors. He did it once. He's not someone I bet against. So I don't know where he ends up other than I think he's very much politically damaged. And in terms of, of the nursing home issue, yes, granting sweeping immunity to nursing homes made them effectively a dumping ground for these people. Um, they also weren't given adequate PPE as well. Um, you know, I'm someone I don't want to overstate that the, the order compelling them to take COVID po- positive patients. 
I don't want to say that was the only reason lots of people died in nursing homes. There, it, it was a very chaotic time. There's a lack of PPE. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of disorganization. The virus had probably already been spreading. The real problem is New York was counting nursing home deaths in a really bizarre way, in a way that really existed in, in my mind solely to downplay what was going on there. And the issue was we were not counting people who got sick in nursing homes and were transferred to hospitals where they died. The hospital transfer deaths were left out of the nursing home death total. And this made no sense because if you, if you were a nursing home resident and you got sick, you were ill, of course you would be transported to a hospital. They'd call an ambulance for you if you were on the verge of death. So if you don't count these people, you're not even getting close to a full picture. And mm-hmm. all for a large chunk of last year, a lot of people, the state legislature, journalists, think tanks, all kinds of people were saying, give us the full count. Where is the full count? And the Cuomo administration kept refusing to release it, never gave an adequate reason why, and only did so this year when the attorney general put out her report um, that said New York was undercounting deaths by at least 50%, which was something that we all suspected. The, you compared him to, to Richard Nixon before, and I think that's really apt because the thing about Watergate is on its own, it wasn't a, a horrific scandal, right? You're, you're mm-hmm. breaking into the DNC, you're lying about it. Nixon won re-election dramatically anyway. He didn't need to steal from the DNC, but it was about the cover-up. With the nursing home scandal, it really boils down to the cover-up because on its own, it's not as if the total death count from COVID was suppressed in New York State. The total count stayed the same. What was suppressed was this breakdown of nursing home deaths because it allowed Cuomo to claim, well, we've had 40,000 people die in the state, but only 4,000 or 5,000 died in nursing homes. It's such a tiny percentage compared to Michigan or New Jersey. This was something he'd brag about in his book. And it's becoming apparent that his obsession with this book probably played a role in him downplaying the death. So for me, the problem is the cover-up and it's the bad data. You know, you need good data to make good decisions. You need good data to be able to know what happened from a historical perspective. And it was clear without the attorney general, without everyone asking questions, Cuomo was content to fudge, hide, cover up this nursing home data. And it may get him into legal trouble. It may get Melissa Duros into legal trouble. We don't know yet. We'll find out. Yeah. And their excuse so far, or their uh, reported excuse, closest thing to an excuse, was DeRosa saying, well, we didn't want the Trump administration to, to politicize this, which is, I guess, maybe a political, uh, politically justifiable, but not I really legally. I you were going to make fun of me. I didn't yeah. want to tell you how many old people died. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's bad tweets. They're afraid of bad tweets. And then there was a New York Times report a few, few weeks ago now um, that said as, as early as June, which was before DeRosa claimed they were, for, they, they were afraid of the Department of Justice, they were aware of, of the nursing home death toll and they'd actually pulled the numbers out of a report um, claiming they weren't verified. I put that in air quotes. So, you know, she's a liar. Uh, you know, she, she is someone who lies. Cuomo lies. They're both liars. Uh, you know, they there's a reason that, uh, you know, she has served so ably in the administration because she will do what he says. And that is kind of your 
your your ticket to surviving Cuomo land is being subservient and it's being willing to die for the boss. With all quasi-authoritarian leaders, that that is often the case, and that's the case with Cuomo as well. Right, and there's also sort of, you know, the of course the whole uh, range of harassment allegations that uh, really paint a picture of someone who is somewhat horny, but beyond horniness, it's seriously just like a will to power thing. Like he has some, just from what the allegations that I've read, it's like he, he likes to humiliate uh, his, his staff, particularly young women, uh, in just a crazy, deranged way. Um, basically, no one was really surprised by this and people who have worked with, with Cuomo. Uh, but do you think that this will at least damage his reputation among some of the, his base, right? Because like th- these are people who ostensibly are sort of pro hashtag me too. And, you know, they want to listen to Tish James. I have like family member who's, who's like just waiting for the Tish James report to come out. Uh, but if it um, comes out that he did harass his staff and maybe there's no legal wrongdoing, but there is, you know, misconduct, do you think that will hurt him uh, in the polls? I, I do think the report can hurt him in the polls because the nursing home report certainly uh, caused damage. I mean, that was that was the first wave of scandal. I mean, he, he was someone who was already getting mocked on Saturday Night Live before the, the, before the stuff. Pete Davidson was playing him uh, for threatening you know, Ron Kim, state assembly member, uh, who was challenging him on the nursing home issue. I, I think what what is a saving grace for Cuomo is there's a general generational divide in me too. Older women see the issue differently than younger women. You you see it in polling, you see it anecdotally. They came of age in a different world to them. Maybe they went through it themselves and they say, well, that's how bosses act. It's not that big a deal. I do think what will be a problem for Cuomo is if the physical allegations are substantiated and he was accused of, of groping someone in the executive mansion, that person is not identified publicly. That is the allegation that I think uh, is going to be damning. Ver- verbal stuff is very bad, but in the court of law and public opinion, it's only going to take you so far. Physical allegations elevate it. And if a physical allegation is substantiated, he's going to be in a lot of trouble. I do think from a political perspective, the report will likely be bad for him in that it's hard to imagine that at least some of these allegations won't be substantiated. These are credible allegations. I think one problem with the the Tara Reid allegation against Joe Biden was it was one person, right? And it was one person whose credibility at times could be questioned. It's very hard when you've got six people's five people, four people. Yeah. Well, they also really somehow disconnected Tara Reid from like the entire thing earlier in the primary where like a lot of women were saying he sniffed me and stuff, which is not the same, but yeah, uh, somehow they were able to just kind of bury that. Like it's completely lost to everyone's memory. It was, yeah, it's, I think, I think it's different when you, when you work for someone. So, you know, Biden was accused of of kissing and, and sniffing and hugging, most were not, I don't think any of them were, were staffers, the Lucy Flores allegation. So you know, Cuomo is facing something a bit different where these are people who, who currently or did work for him in fairly high level capacities who say he acted this way. So the allegations carry a lot of weight 
with the media, with the court of public opinion. They, they still aren't enough to doom him, but they've definitely weakened him. And the report will certainly determine how far they go. The report will probably inform what the state legislature does as well, assuming mm-hmm. the report comes first before the impeachment inquiry wraps up. And my guess, given how the assembly is slow walking all of this, that the, the attorney general might be done first. That's kind of interesting. I guess for me, when I think about Cuomo, like the, the Trump is like, as a concept is just looming in the back of all this for me. You know, it's interesting. They're able to deflect certain things by going like, well, we, we can't, we couldn't put this data out. Cause like that strengthens Trump and you don't want to yeah. do that. And then if you do some digging, you find out like people in the, the greater New York hospital association are heavily involved in Trump. And it's like, you know, you look into it a little bit. It's okay. This is bullshit. This is a cynical use of the idea of Trump. But also I think that like Trump, like was the first, you know, politician to kind of embody this, like, I can't be canceled thing. Fuck you. I'm not going to do it. Right. But that's like, as of right now, kind of a Republican thing. Like they own that. And I guess in my mind, it seems like Cuomo's like being put in a position where it's like, is he going to reach for that tool like is he gonna do that he is he is and and i think the 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 difference you brought that up and it's interesting i do think there is a base of cuomo support to me that resembles the trump base where each of them don't really believe empirical reality and political polarization informs their views i think the difference is the cuomo base is smaller because democrats as as a as a body are more ideologically diverse and are not quite captured by a sole individual the way Trump has captured the Republican Party. I think that's kind of the difference. Trump's got a much bigger base of people who will die for him and who will rewrite reality for him. And that's why I I told people over and over again, Trump leaving is not going to change the Republican Party. Trump runs the Republican Party. The, The never Trump Republicans aren't a constituency at all. It is the Trump Party. I think with Cuomo, it's a smaller base, but it's there. It's there. I I see it online a lot. I've heard it in person. People who, again, like Trump supporters, though they are ostensibly educated and, and, you know, tell themselves they are, you know, they're they're good people, et cetera, et cetera. They are sort of playing whataboutisms like Mm -hmm. Trump supporters would, and they are rejiggering reality. You've seen a literal like Trump conspiracy theory come out. I don't know if you've been following. There are people who've been saying that, the reason these allegations have come out is because they want Trump wants Cuomo gone because then Trump can get pardoned in New York state and only Cuomo <laughs> will do that. And that right. Brooklyn dad defiant Twitter guy, oh, you know, man. Like, God. the real problem, you know, talk about, I don't support kicking people off Twitter. You know, it, it's not, not my thing. Uh, but he, if he were kicked off, you know, I would, I would, yeah. my <laughs> I would fight for his right to tweet just on a, on a, um, on a values level and a free speech level, but I find him abhorrent. No, that guy's um, a problem, man. But, he's yeah. everywhere. But people like him, right? Like he has a big following. Like he, he's not he's not a joke in the sense that he tweets to a lot of people. And his tweet his tweet about Cuomo got a lot of attention. And again, it's this idea that it's all just a Trump driven conspiracy. So what you're seeing is conspiracy mongering has you know certainly took over the right wing a while ago there is a base of the Democratic Party that is very susceptible to conspiracy mongering. We saw it with Russiagate. We're seeing it now with Cuomo, where they believe 
I don't know how many of these people there are, but they are out there that this is all a plot to save Trump and only Cuomo stands in the way. It's obviously insane because New York's a democratic state. Kathy Hochul is the lieutenant governor. She is a Democrat. She's Democrat in good standing. She's a moderate Democrat. She's not going to pardon Donald Trump. <laughs> so, right. It's well, where it's, we are. It's, it, it's yeah. Um, and it's strange because like the, the base of Cuomo supporters is almost like overrepresented or maybe it is accurately represented, I don't know, in, in the in New York state government, because you have, you know, you would think, oh, uh, with, when it comes to impeaching Cuomo, we got all the progressive Democrats, right? And then all the Republicans are going to want to impeach him. It should be a piece of cake. Yes. But in both both houses, uh, his his support is pretty deep among people who are just terrified of him. You Deeper know? in the assembly than, than the Senate. I would say right. that, that's okay. the difference. And Stuart Cousins he, is starting to stand up to he, him. Right? He called for him to resign. And, and the, the difference is the state Senate is a, is a younger body. There's a lot less of them. It's a, it's a smaller body. It's a younger body. It has a lot of newer progressives who got in in the last few years who have no relationship to Cuomo and despise him and are very open about it. If impeachment somehow began in the state Senate, he would be impeached. He would absolutely be impeached. It doesn't start there because it's, it's like the federal, it starts in the lower house. The assembly is different in that there are the votes purely on numbers. There are votes to impeach him. The problem is the way the state legislature works is nothing really moves without a majority of Democrats deciding mm. it moves. So the assembly has operated under these rules for a while, informal rules that a majority of Democrats must want something to make it happen. So right now you probably have, I would say a, a majority I think is 76 in the state assembly. It's 100, 150 person body, so 76. You can make a majority for impeachment with the Republicans in the state assembly and the progressive Democrats. Together, you would hit your majority. You probably surpass it. The problem is the assembly speaker is someone who is close to Cuomo. He is cautious. He is a moderate. Yeah, and okay. he also won't move until that Democratic number hits a majority. Right. Can that Democratic number hit, hit a majority? I think it can if the report is really damning and if something really changes. The issue at the assembly is there's no there's no term limits in the state legislature, right? And the assembly has had a lot less turnover. It's an older body. You've got people who've been there 20 years, 30 years, even more. They're cautious by nature. They're cowed in some ways by Cuomo. They're deferential to him. So that's like the final hurdle to overcome. Cuomo knows it, right? I mean, Chuck Schumer calls for him to resign. Cuomo does not give a crap. Yeah. AOC call for it. Cuomo does not give a crap. If the assembly speaker called for it, then Cuomo cares because those are the votes and the trial goes to the Senate. He's in deep trouble. Right. It's interesting because, you know, in most uh, bodies, including the, the federal one, it's like the, the House, the lower one mm -hmm. is the more sort of progressive, uh, yeah. popularly uh, reflective one. And the Senate is more conservative, but it's the opposite in New York. It was like um, it was like that in New York till a few years ago, because remember, the Republicans held the Senate. Right. Assembly by default was the progressive body. But again, yeah. it was more of like a by default thing because they were the only Democratic power in Albany. They were like the wedge between Republicans running the Senate and Andrew Cuomo in the governor's mansion. So people had to kind of go to them for the progressive wish list stuff. And they would right. go, oh, we'll do our best, right? We'll see what happens. 
but now it's flipped. Yes, it's the Senate is really where you have more. I mean, there are DSA. Another difference I should say is a DSA member in the state Senate can make a much bigger difference because there's 63 of them. A DSA member in the assembly is one of 150. So there are two DSA state senators now. Mm -hmm. And I think there are now... How many? One of my friends was just elected. Uh, was five, Emily I want to say. Gallagher, uh, Farah. Um, Soufrant, yeah. Soufrant, uh, Farah, Zor. Yeah, Soufrant, Zoran. Marcella. Emily, Marcella, yeah. So yeah. four. you have four DSA, four hardcore DSA members in the state assembly, two hardcore members in the Senate. The two in the Senate can influence things a lot more because the body is much smaller. And they yeah. They, and that was huge in 2019 with just Julia Salazar. Uh, we were able to pass, not just her, but that was, you know, a lot of the- way Yeah, it was a big it, deal getting her rent control. Yeah. And then the next cycle, I would bet there, there may be another one. There could be another DSA senator. And the There's assembly nothing. certainly will be more, but you need a lot more. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, but as we're rounding out here, a couple quick uh, political questions. You mentioned Tish James might run for governor against Cuomo. Uh, is there any possibility that someone to her left, like maybe uh, Jessica Biaggi or- uh, Ramos, Ramos, or Alessandra Biaggi. Alice, sorry, I got them, I get them mixed up. They are yeah. different people. Yeah. Uh, Alessandra Biaggi, that's the yeah. most Italian name. Okay. Uh, and then- Grandfather yeah, was, a, was a congressman. That's uh, right. And Ramos. she had a, a blood um, feud against, who was it? uh Engel or who yeah so her her father was unseated by some yes by Elliot Engel yeah Elliot Engel yeah yeah uh but you have a few other options there maybe a rerun from Jeffrey Teachout or you know Ron Kim would be a good matchup uh what are the other possibilities there and is there a danger not to get too ahead of ourselves but is there a danger here that you have too many people running you have uh, uh Tish James and a progressive challenger and that might split the vote and and let almost sneak in there or um, well, there's ranked yeah. choice now so i mean you know in in a, in a scenario where tish is running and cuomo is running yeah i mean cuomo within a multi-candidate field could win my guess is i mean the way things usually work in new york is these races are incredibly expensive and powerful interest groups often control them and these powerful interest groups if tish james steps forward may be more willing to support Tish and push Cuomo aside. So the powerful interest groups, we talked about the hospital lobby is a big one. The real estate industry is a big one. Finance is a big one. You know, you have um, labor, big labor, uh, the healthcare workers union, building trades, all these major interest groups traditionally have been supportive of Cuomo. They've had a very transactional relationship with him. If they desert him for Tish, she becomes the establishment candidate and he will have a much harder time. Um, my, my, my guess is, you know, someone like Tish is going to, would be hard to defeat were she the establishment candidate because she's black and from the city and she could do well in uh, black and Latino neighborhoods in Brooklyn, uh, you know, where a lot of the vote is decided, right? Mm -hmm. These races are very, very expensive. They cost tens of millions of dollars. Cuomo spent 30 about to defeat Cynthia Nixon. I think for, you know, for the left, Tish, Tish would be a tough person to primary off the bat. 
I think for the left, there's probably more hope for the attorney general's position, which Zephyr Teachout almost won right. in 2018. That has always been the governor-in-waiting position. Cuomo and Elliot Spitzer were both AGs before becoming uh, governor. Um, I think if that, that, if that opens up, if Tish runs for governor, you would see a highly competitive race for AG. And that's where Biagi's a lawyer. She could run for it. Zephyr Teachout could run for it. You know, there, there's a lot of people who could step forward. You know, Ramos or Biagi, they're state senators. Tish James is the attorney general. They would have a hard time running against her. Um, but I do think, you know, for, for the left, if you got someone like Zephyr, you know, a really progressive AG in there, you would have a lot of possibilities because that person could very well end up as governor, you know, in, in the near future. Uh, right. Given it's a, it's a statewide position, it, it, it confers you a lot of name recognition, a lot of power. Um, and, and also the, the races in New York are very expensive. So being able mm-hmm. to raise tens of millions of dollars is very important. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing to keep in mind with with uh, DSA, like we we're saying earlier, these uh, the composition of the these bodies. Right. I think it's, for example, with the mayor's race, uh, yeah. it would be great if, you know, Diane Morales got elected. But honestly, to me, it would be a much better scenario if the DSA just has a stronger presence in the council or has a presence yeah. and is able to have a caucus that can influence what what ordinances and things get passed uh, instead of like a mayor who's kind of sitting there in the wilderness. Um, but I guess last question on the mayor's race, who do you see as the favorite? Is, is it fair to call Yang the front runner? And uh, what's kind of the best case scenario for uh, leftists and, and progressives? I, I think Yang is the front runner. And I think Eric Adams, the borough president, is a top contender. And then I think uh, Scott Stringer and Maya Wiley are in that next tier. And, and I don't really see anyone else breaking out. Maybe Ray McGuire, because he's he's going to spend a lot of money, but he's not going to outspend the top of the field by that much. Like Bloomberg, the, the Guardian Angels guy is going to win? Oh, Curtis Lewa, yeah. No, pro- no not quite. Um, he, yeah, he's, he's a character to say the least. Um, so the thing, the thing is like with a mayor's race, right? Like Bloomberg won because he spent more money than God. Like the, the amount of money he spent, like we'll never see again, a hundred million dollars to win a third term. Like it's crazy. Mayor's races because they have a matching fund system for this race, they'll be capped at about $10 million. And, and so mm-hmm. Bloomberg spends 10 times that much. McGuire won't spend that. I do think Yang is a front runner. I think Eric Adams is right there. I don't think Diane Morales has a real shot. I, my apologies to the Morales people. And I, I say that because, you know, mayor's races, again, like governor's races, I think DSA is smart about this stuff. They cost a lot of money. It's not like running for city council. It's not like running for Congress. Someone the other day is like, well, AOC and Bowman won. It's one congressional district. You know, a, a million people, you know, almost a million people could vote in the June primary. So what you need to do, you need to spend a lot of money on TV. Field doesn't mean that much. Bill de Blasio won in 2013 with no paid field program. It's a very different ball game. It's like a media and messaging thing. It's something the left in the future could compete for, especially if you elect a DSA member, public advocate, council speaker. Like I think the sky's the limit for DSA. I think in this cycle, they're doing it right. You, you run for city council. I think DSA will elect at the minimum three or four members to the city council. That's a block. 
you can have leftist like adjacent members who aren't in DSA, but kind of support all the same policies mm-hmm. and you can build a block and you can oppose what will probably inevitably be a more conservative administration than what's in the city council. I think that's, that's the dynamic you'll see. And that's where the council can really have a say, you know, for leftists, I mean, truthfully, there aren't a lot of great choices. I mean, to be frank for mayor, for city yeah. council choices uh, uh, are abundant for mayor. I mean, to be frank, there's no candidate who's viable, who checks all the boxes you want. There's no viable candidate who is a long history in progressive left politics. Scott Stringer is sort of proclaims himself to be, but he was a center left pro-Israel establishment Democrat to the right of de Blasio on certain issues for a long time. So he beat out Spitzer. And he defeated Spitzer and, yeah. he, and he wasn't really running to Spitzer's left. Not at all. Quite yeah. frank. Yeah. They kind of, uh, Spitzer, if anything, kind of took a populist lane in that, in that primary and had a, had a black and Latino support. So, you know, Stringer, again, center left politician. I think he's running a progressive campaign, but he's not Bernie Sanders. He's not Zephyr Teachout. Maya Wiley, similarly, she's Bill de Blasio's lawyer, has progressive ideas, but is not Bernie Sanders, is not Zephyr Teachout. So, Again, by that standard, you don't have a lot to work with. Eric Adams used to be a Republican, you know, is very close to the real estate industry. And Andrew Yang is the wild card. I, I think skepticism is warranted. Um, I my my only defense of Yang I ever offer to leftists is he's open, he's more open to far left policy than I would say some of the other candidates in the race. He also has some pretty dubious people advising him, dubious in that they uh, have ties to Michael Bloomberg yeah. and Uber, Bradley Tusk in particular. So, you know, as a leftist myself, I have serious, uh, you know, uh, worries about a, a second Bloomberg administration with Yang. I don't know if that's what's going to happen. I think Yang is something of a blank slate, which can be scary or which could be exciting, depending on your point of view. Again, I've argued to people in DSA on the left if Yang becomes mayor, he can be influenced. He's not right, Andrew yeah, Cuomo. Totally. He's not Michael Bloomberg. He's not a billionaire. Michael Bloomberg could destroy the unions if he wanted to because he had more money than God and he had the entire you know institutional New York behind him. Yang, he's a newcomer. He's a neophyte. In some sense, he'd be a weaker mayor, but for the left, that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Um, but but there but there's also there, there's plenty you know certainly if you care about like Palestine if you right. if you care about you know defunding the police Yang is not your candidate and Eric Adams is not your candidate either so not a lot of good choices for the left <laughs> among the viable candidates who are going to win again my apologies to Dan Morales but I don't see it uh, maybe she'll raise ten million dollars and surprise me and I will say I'm wrong. And uh, I apologize, but we're, th- we're less than three months out. I think it's going to be one of those four candidates I mentioned and really might be one of those two, Adams or Yang. That would be my guess. That's, yeah, to me, the worst case scenario is Eric Adams. I mean, I, I definitely would be ranking uh, Morales first because it's ranked choice. But to me, like Yang kind of represents this new emerging sort of ideology where it's just like hardcore Keynesianism, basically, or, or like sort of Keynesianism because he... He has, you know, corporate backing. He's going to be influenced by real estate and all these business interests. Uh, and he's got the terrible foreign policy and a lot of reactionary views. But he's open to spending a shit ton of money. You know, he's open to doing a public bank, uh, yes. which is stuff that like the left 
I think I could see a, a decent path forward if he's if he's the mayor. We should still keep making fun yeah, of him, he, and he'll do me, bad stuff. But it seems like he's open to certain left ideas because he doesn't understand that they are against his interest in the way that people <laughs> have been in politics for a long time are and are you know adapted to, to motivated by self motivation. Well, he's like a non-ideological capitalist, right? Because there are a lot of like social democratic policies that would help capital, right? Universal healthcare would help capital, probably a UBI in some respects. Uh, but he doesn't have like that ideological bent against public spending and, and no, like and like he's not. I mean, I mean Cuomo again. Compare him to Cuomo. Cuomo is a Clintonian Democrat to his core. He came up with Bill Clinton. He is someone who is fundamentally if he had his druthers and if he governed like a different sort of state, he'd be cutting the budget drastically. He stopped by various interest groups. He would got CUNY, he would got public schools. That's his instinct. That's Cuomo has the neoliberal kind of like instinct. That's kind of who he is. He can't always govern that way because New York kind of prevents you. I think with Yang, the institutions would prevent him from being a neoliberal. I don't think he wants to be neoliberal. I, I think that I think the left hostility to him is valid and that yes, he he's surrounded by Bloomberg people and he's someone who doesn't have a history in like movement politics at all. But I also think he's not someone who's arriving with kind of like a neoliberal mindset. I think he's arriving with a mindset that can be sometimes hard to parse, but mm he doesn't come at this with the idea that government must shrink and that we must radically, you know, curtail, you know, unions, you must radically kind of curtail spending. It's like not really what he's talked about. And I think he gets kind of misconstrued as like this Amazon, like big tech capitalist. And he's not, he's not a leftist. He's not a socialist, but he's also not that. And I think people don't always quite get him if right. that makes sense. It's not an Amazon mindset. It's a Linux mindset. <laughs> it's open to the user to create their own experience. So you heard it here. It's Yang yeah. for New York. We're turning the budget into steam points. The bus <laughs> will now be a cyber truck. Yeah. I mean, he is enigmatic now, but I honestly do think, and this is not a, necessarily a good thing. In many ways, it's a bad thing that he is like the future of American politics, just like you know, welfare capitalism, you're trying to keep it afloat. Uh, yeah, no, he, he's not, he's not, you know, a, a socialist in any way and, yeah. and doesn't seek transformation. I, I would agree with that. Um, and I, I think the openness to ideas like cuts both ways. Like I said, very openly, when you're that open, you can be open to the most nefarious, terrible things in the world and bad people. You can also be open to great things. And that's kind of like, I think for the organized left in New York, if like Yang wins, it's about organizing very quickly, getting in front of him, building coalitions, pressuring him to do the right things. Like that's very important. And I think for better and for worse, he is pressurable, right? And again, yeah. I say for yeah. better and for worse because usually we don't always like that, but then sometimes that can be the thing that can be most beneficial when someone does bend. Cuomo Me, is, right. not, is not bent. We need to start gaslighting Mayor Yang on day one <laughs> to our agenda. We use all the tactics. Get, get yep. in there. Yeah. I mean, I'd say for DSA, especially, you know, if he wins, uh, get, get meetings, show up at city hall, push him. You know, he, he's not Bloomberg. He's also not, you know, Bernie, um, but you know, he's something else. Like, like he's, like, you know, like Anders said, you know, he future of American politics, right. It, it's he, he's a, 
he he's intriguing. I I don't I don't know where he's gonna lead. He could lead to somewhere bad. He also may not win. Eric Adams looms too. I don't want to downplay Eric Adams. He's formidable. So yeah. we're gonna find out in, in a few months. It's gonna be very interesting. Right. And in the meantime, everybody in New York uh, or outside of New York should donate and volunteer for these. Uh, I'm not saying officially, as a as a friend told me to. Um, a friend is doing this. Donate. <laughs> And volunteer for candidates like Tiffany Caban, Michael Hollingsworth. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, and Ross, is there? Where can people find you? And uh, you have two books. I understand. Yes. We uh, we yes, heard a little I'm... bit of the first one, or of the the most recent one. Uh, are you doing a close reading of Andrew Cuomo's book in your new book? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. So so my Cuomo book, I I did read his bad memoir of the pandemic. And I, I certainly, I counter it in my own book. So yes. Um, so my, my current book, which is you can pre-order it now and get 15% off pre-orders are going out next month, I believe. So pre-order does come earlier than the official pub date, which will be um, in July. So um, I, I, it's called Andrew Cuomo. Um, it's called the Prince Andrew Cuomo coronavirus in the fall of New York get it or books that's orbooks.com you'll see at the front of the site very easy 15% off um so i urge you to go and buy it pre-orders are super important for authors especially the higher the pre-orders the more promotion goes into the book the more buzz it gets um our washington post uh their their book club newsletter already uh, talked about it which was cool but definitely want to get more more buzz and more interest and i think it will be a necessary corrective to the cuomo mythology so i urge everyone to buy my cuomo book check it out if you have a relative as i do who loves andrew cuomo send it to them uh that's what i'm about to do yeah (laughs) and uh, can i actually also get a quick tease for your your novel De- uh, demolition sure yeah demolition night it came out a few years ago um you know kind of a, it was a just a dystopian uh you know literary novel that that was uh, sort of a satire of, of a future that's not so much different than this one in which you know big tech uh dominates and has enslaved uh people to you know certain jobs um because the labor market has been decimated and then it also takes place in 1970s new york as well so it kind of alternates between two worlds and it came out a few years ago so if you like literary fiction if you're into kind of like a ray bradbury octavia butler uh sort of thing maybe for you order that as well cool oh, yeah like that i'm at anders lee here on twitter uh volunteer for for the council you guys got anything to plug uh follow me on twitter at patak jokes that's p-t-a-k jokes um are we still doing movie of the week <laughs> go ahead or is I, that a, yeah. a throwaway i don't know go for I'll it mine you. is shazam watch shazam 2019 best dc comics movie ever there's no uh, rules on what you can plug on our show plug whatever you want i saw shazam it's pretty good yeah, I love it. I, I wish I still think of him as Cap because my father is very old and he grew up when he was called Captain Marvel. So I, I grew up knowing who Captain Marvel was. Shame, shame. They rebranded and, him Shazam over some like like legal right legal. Well, story. yeah, because there's well, it's funny because the Marvel Captain Marvel was created just to fuck with DC because they yeah. owned the rights to the other Captain Marvel, DC did, and he was on hiatus. So Marvel Comics lawyer was like. You guys should create a superhero called Captain Marvel 
just to create a, a legal yeah. situation with them. And so that's why now in this movie, he can't go by Captain Marvel. The, the hero uh -huh. does not have a name in the movie, which is a fun gag for yeah. the first movie. I don't know what they're going to do with the sequel. but All right. Uh-oh, Shazam podcasting coming. Anders <laughs> and Ross Shazam podcast. I'm, uh, I'm going to plug uh, the wind that blows the barley, which is a, like wind that the shakes Irish the barley. wind that shakes the barley. It's like an Irish saving Private Ryan if they didn't have any money, so they couldn't technically film anyone dying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we've uh, kept the streak alive. I don't think we've ever had a plug section that didn't get entirely disrailed for at least 30, 40 seconds. Uh, it's not going to happen next week either. My plugs are... Uh, I'm suspended from Twitter right now, so please retweet. Oh, no. I'm tweeting from the podcast account. I'll be back. I'll promote the show in a few days when I come back. But in the time being, please promote my stuff that, that I'm promoting from the podcast account, including this here podcast. Um, and listen to my other show, Why You Mad. And um, I think that's it. I, Subscribe I to our Patreon as well. You right. Good. I'm really there. proud of the Patreon episode we did this week. I did a deep dive on crazy evangelical organizations in response to the mass shooting, and there's some really fun stuff in there. So if you've been on the fence, this is my pitch. Sign up for our show. Give us money and listen to our extra shit. Um, I Rate us on iTunes. I don't know. Do we have to do that anymore? I, can't, I, I don't know. Just give us right. money. I don't know. Do what you're Jake's feeling. movie's uh, 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 pitch this week is Spring Breakers. You have to listen to the bonus to find out oh. why. It's oh spring yeah breakers. oh yeah i watched it for the first time and i fucking loved it watch spring breakers that's, that's spring break forever um i'm taking i'm so mad that i'm taking this seriously yes my movie pitch which is a thing that we do on the show <laughs> spring breakers all right uh i think that's it everyone uh that's it thanks, thanks for joining us all right thanks us. for having me yeah and you have a tw did you plug your twitter i forgot um at ross barkin just my name cool. find it follow yeah. me and follow my pithy tweets our fans are Twitter freaks, so, you know. All right. Important. You'll find good good content on my Twitter. Good content. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for talking to us. I uh, hope you learned quite a bit about uh, fucking Cuomo. And we end by saying it's finished. It's finished. All right. Finished.